0: morning. It's great to be back today. Let's, uh, let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you for this place, for this time. Thank you for your grace in our lives. And it's only because of that, Father, we can even take our next breath. Help us never to forget that. Thank you for loving us, for forgiving us, for justifying us in Christ forever that we can be your children, that we can call you our Father, that we're brothers and sisters forever in your family, all because of your grace. So help us this morning as we look into your word your truth. We want to be people who truly are filled with grace and truth. So give us understanding. Uh, help us always to be teachable. And we pray that all that we do here and say here will be profitable for us and it will glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to continue our theme from last Sunday. I noticed it was on the front of the bulletin which is which is great to see. Uh, and uh, to begin with and then I want to go back to John chapter 1 which is the text we began with and read the verses again from John 1 14 to 17. The word became flesh And dwell among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And of his fullness we have all received. And grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So our theme, our theme, being full of grace and truth, I hope that's your heart's desire, that you'll be like Christ and be full of grace and truth. Last time we focused on grace. We're going to spend eternity experiencing the grace of God. I hope that constantly keeps you amazed. My favorite song is Amazing Grace. And I don't ever want to quit being amazed at God's grace. For every breath. So we talked about grace. We looked at the fact that God's grace is unending. We cannot outsin the grace of God, fortunately. But grace also needs truth. The text tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Not grace or truth. Not one or the other, but he was full of both. He was full of grace and truth. And as I said at the end the last time, we're living in a culture which is pretty much given up in many ways on the whole concept of truth. And when I say truth, now I mean capital T, truth. What Francis Schaeffer used to call true truth, universal truth. We live in a culture that is denying that that even exists in many ways. And in fact, unfortunately, even in the Christian community, in the Christian world, there are many who are denying, according to recent surveys, over half said those who call themselves evangelical Christians, but said they don't believe in absolute truth. Capital T truth we have a crisis going on and I want to focus today on that truth what is it why is it important why do we need to be full of grace and truth see truth is the reality of all things brought to light totally if you want to say it in one sentence It's the reality of all things brought to light completely and totally. And that, of course, is God Himself, isn't it? He defines reality. He defines all of what is in fact true. Truth applies to everything. Truth applies to all sorts of claims, be they spiritual or not. It applies to all of reality as opposed to the mere appearance of things. Reality versus appearance. One of the central problems of philosophy, which is what I teach, has been ever since ancient times. What is really real versus what only appears to be real. Truth is what is really real. And it's interesting in the scripture that the word true, for example, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word emet, is the word usually translated true in the Old Testament. True or truth. And it's interesting now when you look at the word emet or true, it's defined in a couple of very interesting ways. One is, of course, it applies to facts. True applies to what actually is the case. Like grass is green, that's a fact. It is true. And emet is used many, many times in Scripture in the Old Testament in that way. It's talking about what is actually true, factually true about the world. But it's also in other texts translated a different way. It's also translated oftentimes with words like faithful, reliable, trustworthy. Those are different kinds of words, aren't they, than factual. Those kinds of words get at something much more personal. Which shouldn't surprise us, right, as believers who know something about scripture, because Jesus says in John 14:6, I am the way the what? truth. I am. Truth is very personal. So in Romans one twenty-five, when it says that man exchanged the truth of God for a lie, remember that text. Man exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That means idolatry, because truth is who God is, and if you exchange the truth. For a lie, you are exchanging God for something else. That is not true. God is the truth. It's his, it's his essential nature. It's who He is. It's reality in all its fullness. When when Pilate at the trial of Jesus, remember, he asked a question. He said, "What is truth?" Have you ever wondered what he said? How he asked that? Have you ever wished you would have been there to hear? I I do. I wonder how he asked that question. Jesus didn't say anything, but he could have said, me. (laughs) Paul said, what is truth? Jesus said, well, you're looking at it. You're looking at him. The life and death of Jesus Christ, that is truth. In Ephesians 4.21, Paul says, truth is in Jesus. He is the definition. He is truth. He defines all of what reality really is. So, so truth is a unitary whole thing. It's harmonious, and it's also personal because it's a person. Truth does not only apply to propositions. Now, a proposition is simply a statement, a claim. That has truth value. That is a proposition, is a claim that you can ask whether or not it's true or false. Truth does not just apply to cognitive, mental ideas and propositions. It's not just an agreement with a set of claims, of beliefs. It is that. But it's not just that. It's entering into relationship with a living person who is Jesus Himself. It goes far beyond just agreeing with certain belief systems. We talked last time a little bit about becoming a Christian as opposed to becoming a Rotarian, right? Becoming a Christian is not just adopting a new set of beliefs and behaviors. That's religion. Christianity is not just about adopting a new set of beliefs and behaviors. That's a very anemic view of Christianity. Christianity is about entering into a living, dynamic, intimate, personal relationship with the living God who is life Himself. Where God invades us We said last time He raised us from the dead and gave us life. And we have now entered into that life, God's kind of life, a relationship with a living person who is in us, in us, His life in us. If any man's in Christ, he's a what? New creation. God in us, His life in us, and now He is working in us to change us, to conform us, as He says in Romans 8, His purpose to conform us to the image of His Son. God's work in us by His grace. So in John 10, when Jesus talks about life, He doesn't just talk about life, He talks about having what kind of life? Abundant life. Abundant life. You're not just surviving. talks about abundant life. And that's not just spiritual. That's life in all of its fullness. In every regard. It's all of life. Grace is holistic. The gospel is holistic. It affects and changes all of us. Complete humanness. That is, we said last week, that's what we were created for. To receive and to reflect the life of God. He created us uniquely so we could be beings who could do what no other beings in the world can do, which is experience the life of God. To reflect it, to receive it, to live it out, to experience it. To become fully who we were created to be in the beginning. That's profound. See how much more that is than just believing something a new set of beliefs or a new set of behaviors. We're talking about a message, a gospel, of life that is completely transforming us in the process of making us like Christ. Well, in recent years, the 20th century particularly, we have certainly in our culture in many ways moved away from any notion of truth like that. That there is such a thing as universal truth, capital T truth. I was reading recently a new book by Jonah Goldberg called Suicide of the West. And he talks about how culture, our culture in many ways, Western culture, has moved away from universal truth, notions of truth with a capital T, and in the consequence moved away from reason and logic and truth to what he calls romanticism. Which is a very postmodern thing, of course, coming from people like Nietzsche. Some of you know that name, perhaps. Which is all about not thinking and truth, but it's about feeling. And exercising your will according to how you feel. And we sort of live in an age like that, don't we? Have you noticed in people's even common discussion, language, conversation, and it's often true with, with younger people, but it's true with many of us, how many times in a, in a paragraph you'll say, I feel like something. How do you feel? Well, I feel like. You use the word feel, don't we a lot? Don't we? we use that word a lot in our culture. I feel, not I think. There's a big difference. Big difference. We need to move away from using that word, I feel like, and start talking about how we think, what we believe. I don't really care how you feel. Well, I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way, right? God doesn't need, well, He does. He cares about your feelings. But truth is about what you think. Truth is about what really is true. Now, understand, and I understand this, and the biblical concept of truth being not just factual truth, but reliable truth, trustworthy truth. So we have the personal and the cognitive there. And I understand that. Reason alone, just being good thinkers alone, especially in the Christian world, can lead, as, we, as many of us know, can lead to all kinds of cold Dogmatism. Judgmental, critical, just dogmatic sorts of behaviors and attitudes. That's not good. That's not the full orb notion of what truth is in Scripture. But romanticism and feelings, right, are also part of, of course, who we are as human beings. But without connection to truth, what does that become? Well, it becomes what it has in much of our culture, kind of mushy, sentimental, liberal relativism, with no commitment to anything that's necessarily true. It leads to often a denial of there is such a thing as truth, which means we cannot make judgments anymore about something being true or right or wrong. It takes away any boundaries for life and morality. I was listening to a very interesting interview, and you can find this on YouTube, it's a long interview, a number of years ago uh, with Jeffrey Dahmer, some of you know that name probably, was a horrendous serial killer a number of years ago. And as he was talking about, they were trying to figure out, you know, why did you you know, why did you do the awful things that you did? And he didn't really have a, you know, a full understanding explanation for that. But he did say something very, very interesting. And his dad was sitting right next to him. And they were talking to his dad and asking, you know, what do you think happened to your son? And how did this... And, and of course, he didn't really know either and so forth. <clears throat> but in the process of that discussion, Jeffrey Dahmer said, well, I was, I was taught in school that there really is no such thing as truth or morality. There are no boundaries. You make those boundaries yourselves. We make them ourselves, for ourselves. And I didn't feel like I had any boundaries. I could do whatever I wanted to. Until, he said, is only a few months before he was killed in prison. He said, until my dad, who had become a believer somewhere along the way, wasn't when, when he was doing all this, his dad wasn't a believer, but he became a believer. He said, my dad started sending me this literature about creation. And how there is a God who created everything. And he does set boundaries for us. And who we are as human beings. And he talks about truth and so forth. And he said, now I realize that Jesus Christ is the truth. He's my Lord and Savior. This is a few months before he was killed. Just a side note there, of course. The grace of God cannot be out-sinned. Thank goodness, right? But he said, there were no boundaries until I realized... God exists, God is truth, and He has created us and He has set boundaries for life. If we deny truth, we deny all kinds of other universals, things that are universally the case. Give you a quick example. <clears throat> we as believers take marriage seriously, don't we? As a sacred institution, we say that marriage has sacredness. Because God created it. So it is a sacred thing. It has sacredness. Well, sacredness doesn't just apply to my wife and I. It applies universally. Marriage is a sacred thing for all mankind, we believe. It has sacredness. Now, what if we don't believe in universals like truth? We also don't believe in universals like sacredness. That's a universal. Okay? But if we don't, if that doesn't exist, and if we don't believe in things like that, then what happens to marriage? Does it matter to marriage? Of course it does. Marriage is no longer, a specific marriage is no longer something sacred, exemplifying sacredness. It becomes what? Just a contract between two people Who decide to love each other as long as they want to, or as long as it's convenient. And that's what we're seeing more and more in our culture, isn't it? Even unfortunately among Christians. Without truth, all of reality that God created fragments, it falls apart into what? Different opinions, different stories. which is, of course, Nietzsche's point about truth itself. It's a social construct, he says. Something we invent. And then we tell our different stories. We have narratives. And we all tell our stories. Some interesting words in C.S. Lewis' Screwtape Letters. I know some of you know that book. In the opening of his book, let me read what he says. This is in the mouth of Satan from C.S. Lewis. I know what you say about guiding your patient's reading and taking care that he sees a good deal of his materialist friend, but aren't you being a trifle naive? It sounds as if you suppose that argument was the way to keep him out of the enemy's clutches. That might have been so if he lived a few centuries earlier. At that time, the humans still knew pretty well when a thing was proved and when it was not. And if it was proved, they really believed it. They still connected thinking with doing and were prepared to alter their way of life as a result of a chain of reasoning. But what with the daily press, radio, television, and other such weapons, we have largely altered that. Your man has been accustomed ever since he was a boy to have a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about together inside his head. He doesn't think of doctrines as primarily true or false, but as academic or practical, outworn, contemporary, conventional, or ruthless. Jargon, not argument, is your best ally in keeping him from the church. That was written quite a few years ago. And it's still true. Jargon. (laughs) Not concern about truth, but concern about jargon. Just what feels good is the best way to keep him from the church. So for most present-day modernists, postmodernists, I'm sorry, all there are, all we have without truth is stories and narratives. Everything is just a story with no reference to any kind of actual reality or any kind of actual truth. The problem is, of course, that we can't even have stories by themselves without some concept of truth being involved. Napoleon supposedly one time was reviewing his troops and came upon a man, a soldier who was standing there with only one arm and he was wearing a distinguished cross medal which was the highest medal that you could achieve at that time in bravery. Napoleon said to him, you're a brave man. Obviously, you'd do anything for your country, wouldn't you? And he said, absolutely. Can, can I do more? Napoleon said, you'd probably be willing to lose your other arm if you had to, wouldn't you? And he said, absolutely. If I were asked to, what could I get if I lost my other arm? Napoleon said, you'd get another distinguished cross medal. And with that, the soldier took a sword and cut off his other arm. you got to think about that for a second. He's a one-armed man. (laughs) Even in our stories, we realize when something just doesn't make sense. Does objective reality, objective truth, capital T, matter? Absolutely it matters. God is full of grace and truth. That's how he wants us to be as believers. Examples of Christ, full of grace and truth. Living examples of the authentic life of Christ in the world. Ephesians 6.14 We're to gird our loins with truth. And truth is the person of Jesus Christ. He's the person that truth transforms. He transforms our minds and our lives. And then what happens according to John 8? Truth sets us what? Free. Free to be everything God created us to be. Not just free from sin and condemnation and wrath, but free to be human in the fullest sense of the created act of God. God to be free under grace, to be everything he created us to be. Jim Sennett says this, quote, we are free to explore the most effective way that we can be of service to him. We are free to examine just what the potentials are for this special and unique creation he has housed in the body we see reflected in the morning's mirror. We are free to discover that special task for which he has brought us into being, free to try and fail. Free to go down blind alleys. Free to make mistakes. Free to succeed. I might add there without pride. Free to climb to the highest peaks of divine interrelationship. Only if we are so free can we be free at all. Truth brings the most incredible freedom that is possible for us to have. In absolutely every phase of our existence, of our lives, of our beings. John 18 Jesus says, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. John 18. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Do you hear his voice? If you're a child of God, yes you do. Isn't it interesting that you and I are sitting here today talking about Scripture and truth. And it matters to us, doesn't it? It really matters to us. It matters to us more than anything in the whole world. This matters to us. First Corinthians 2, Paul says, the natural man, the man who is devoid of the Spirit of God, the man who has not yet entered into the life of Christ, has not entered by faith into experiencing his life The natural man does not welcome the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. And he cannot, notice, he cannot understand them because they're spiritually understood. And yet here we are. Caring about truth. Caring about what God says listening to it and not only listening to it but saying that's how I want to be that's how I need to be. I need to conform to that kind of truth. that's the life of Christ in us. We hear his voice because he lives in us. we care about his truth because he lives in us. we're standing and living in his grace. First Timothy 2: 1 second Timothy 2 1 sorry Paul says to Timothy be strong in the grace." that is in Christ Jesus. We're freely in His grace. This is the truth and we speak words of grace and life and grace and truth. And we want to be people of both. Not one or the other. We don't want to be full of just truth, good truth, maybe good truth, and be cold. Because we have the right argument. We have the right view. We want to be people who are gracious in understanding truth and in sharing it and living it out before other people. There's a wealthy Englishman, the story goes, in the 19th century that went abroad and left his much-loved dog uh, with his servant at home. And while he was gone, he got a cablegram from his servant and it just said very simply, your dog died. Well, the man was distraught, of course, at this. His dog meant a lot to him. When he got home, he said, you were very insensitive in how you told me that my dog died. He should have been more considerate and gentle in how you told me that, knowing how it would affect me. And he said, well, how should I tell you then? He said, well, in the first cable, he said, you could have said your dog is stuck on the roof. Then later, you could have sent another one that said your dog fell off the roof. And he's not doing very well, doing very poorly. He could have sent me another one then that said, Your beloved dog has gone to his eternal reward, or something like that. Sometime later, the man went on another trip. One day he got a cable, he said, Your mother is stuck on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> how gracious am I, how gracious are you in sharing truth. How how much are you living each day in the in the truth and the freedom that is the gospel and knowing Christ. Are you full of grace and truth? What a As I said last time, what an incredible legacy, what an epitaph on our lives. What a great way to be remembered, what an impact to have. Here is someone, child of God, who is full of grace and truth. I trust, I pray that that's true of you and myself. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Father. that you are full of grace and truth. Because of that, we have hope. Because of what we were talking about earlier with the cross, we know that you're a righteous God, a gracious God, who will forgive anyone who comes to you righteously and completely. Thank you for that. Father, we want to be people who are authentically like jesus that we are truly full of grace and truth help us give us the grace give us a desire the will to to want to be people who are full of grace and truth guide us this week in our work our our families our marriages our homes commit them to you pray for your grace even today commit ourselves our lives to you In christ's name we pray amen